The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I'm your host. This is episode 12. We have got a great show for you this week. But before we jump into the show, I wanted to open up uh, this week sharing a little bit of listener mail. We get just great emails from people or messages on Facebook. Um, This one actually came through via email, and it's from a, a man named Mike. And I actually asked Mike if it would be okay if we shared this on the show, and he said, sure. So uh, Mike writes and says, Sean, I'm a Catholic living in Maine, and I really enjoy your podcast. He goes on to explain that he and his wife had traveled to southern Utah. They spent some time in St. George, went to the uh, Temple Visitor Center, and then also went to the Brigham Young House here in in St. George, Utah. By the way, if you've never been to the Brigham Young House. Fascinating. And it's a beautiful temple down there. Mike says that he really enjoyed uh, spending time and getting to know some LDS people there. And when he got back to Maine, he uh, looked for some other resources and came across our podcast. He says he's now listened to all 11 episodes and enjoys it. Then he asks a great question. He says, in future episodes, perhaps you could ever so briefly explain to us non-LDS listeners what conference is and also what the MTC is. Great questions. And I've already answered this to Mike, but for our other listeners, which I actually this week found out about three other listeners who are not members of the church, but who enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And you know, because all my guests are LDS and I'm LDS, sometimes I don't think to explain things and we use uh, words that maybe within the church are more common. If there's ever anything we talk about that doesn't make sense, please email me so we can make sure to clarify it. The MTC is the Missionary Training Center. It's where missionaries go um, after they've received their mission call, but before they go out to the area where they're going to be laboring. The largest one is in Provo, Utah, but we have them all around the world. Missionaries may stay there for a week and a half or two weeks or two months or whatever. They learn the language if they're speaking a foreign language or they just learn how to teach people and how to communicate and how to live on a mission. The conference, generally, when we say conference, it re- generally, it refers to general conference is what we call it, the LDS General Conference. This takes place twice a year. In fact, we just had it last weekend. And it's where uh, leaders of the church and, and other people stand up and, and speak to us and give us instruction. And they speak on a variety of topics. I mean, it could be anything from the atonement to the Book of Mormon, the Bible, scriptures, to budgeting, or just being a kinder human being, or helping other people out. And in fact, uh, it's not just for members of the church. We invite all to come and listen to conference. There are some really inspiring talks. If you go to lds.org, it's all available there. You can look up the MTC. You can also look up the conference talks. You can listen to them, or you can read them and study them. And we invite all people to do it because this last one was really powerful and uh, just fantastic. So Uh, Mike also had one last question. He said, uh, while your entertainer friends have been entertaining to listen to, will you eventually branch out to talk uh, with interesting folks in other professions and occupations? And uh, Mike, uh, which again, I've already written back and forth to Mike, but if there are others of you thinking this, absolutely. In fact, next week, our guest is 
uh, not an entertainer, but he's a fascinating guy and we've got a great interview. So we are branching out and having some different guests. So again, Mike, thank you. And to all of you, if you ever have a question or comment, thought of any kind about the show, please reach out to us. And at the end of the show, we tell you the different ways that you can do that. Now on to this week's show, our guest this week, Clint Pulver. Boy, he is an exciting guy. You are about to just, you cannot help but be happy when you are around Clint Pulver. He is an accomplished uh, drummer, actor, uh, and now one of the country's fastest growing motivational speakers. And I sure found him motivating and, and enjoyed my conversation with him. And I, I'm no doubt that you will too. Without any further ado, here is this week's conversation. All right. Today in the Latter-day Live studio, we have got a guy who uh, many of our listeners will recognize. He's an actor. He's a motivational speaker. He's a drummer. He's all kinds of things. And we are going to talk about all of it today. Clint Pulver is in the studio. Clint, how are you? I'm doing so good. Sean, thank you for letting me be a part of this. Gosh, I'm so glad to have you on. I've wanted to, you were on my original list, by the way. Oh, really? I made a big list of guests that uh, we wanted to have on. You were right there on that list. So I was, I was on the on the desperate I get section. To. I was like, ah, we have to. We'll bring Actually, him in. For, for my show, I'm desperate for every one of the guests. So it works out really, really well. <laughs> no, this, well. Is a, this is such an honor, Sean. So Clint, really. we're just thrilled to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about uh, Clint Pulver. Tell us... Where you were born, where you grew up. So I was born in, in Bountiful, Utah. Uh, and then my family, we moved to Texas and Kansas. But really home for me is Heber City, Utah. I love Heber. I what do a too. great city. Small town. I mean, it's, it's grown a lot. It's not where it, what it used to be. but Not to mention home of the greatest breakfast greasy spoon, the hub. Amen. The hub is, if you're ever passing through Heber, stop and get pancakes and bacon at the hub. Yep, yep. Yeah, and then and then schedule a, a doctor's appointment with your with your, with your cardiologist, cardiologist after that. Right but after it's worth it. It's so <laughs> worth it. It really is worth it. It is. That is a great place. We spent a lot of time in Heber. It's kind of the crossroad. It's right between Midway. It's on your way to uh, Daniel Summit Lodge and yep. on your way to Park City. So. Yep, it's right there in the T of town. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. What a great place to grow up. How was Heber growing up? Oh, I loved it. I mean, it really was that small town where everybody knew everybody, and you got that small town culture, the small town feel where you grew up. Feeling a part of a community, which I think sometimes, especially at the rate that Utah is growing and some of the communities are growing, it gets a little bit harder to do at times. And so I felt like I had that growing up, which I appreciated. And just the beauty of Heber. I mean, my family, we grew up hunting and fishing and yeah. doing outdoor stuff. So Heber's just world-class fishing. World-class fishing. Oh, yeah. In Heber. Provo I mean, River, it's, Strawberry, it's Deer Creek, Jordanelle. It's all within, yeah. you know, literally 10 to 15 minutes of Heber City. That's awesome. Your your family, are you from an LDS family? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the oldest and I have two younger brothers, Jaron and Jake, and then my mom, uh, Shauna, and my dad, Ron. And my dad worked at the hospital there in Heber for a long time. Right. And my mother was the, the world's greatest mom and was there <laughs> baking chocolate chip cookies when we came home from school. And uh, just, What a great way to grow up. I absolutely. Mean, that just sounds awesome. Absolutely. I was very, very blessed. Yeah, very much so. So one of the things from your early life, uh, you've actually, it's kind of become part of your calling card, which is be like Mr. Jensen. Uh, that happened when you were quite young. It did. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you give us a little bit of the background on that? Uh, I was the kid, Sean, that when I, I went to school, I, I didn't necessarily struggle with, with, with science or English or 
I, I really did have a hard time though focusing in class and I would sit there and I would try to pay attention and my body just moved naturally and it was a subconscious thing that happened frequently to the point where it annoyed a lot of a lot of kids a lot yeah. of my peers and then even eventually the teachers and I would sit there and I just I just hit stuff I, I mean I was tapping I was moving and and if you've ever sat next to anybody that's sitting there clicking their pen or they're tapping their foot that gets super annoying really fast sure and uh eventually uh, the, the teachers, they were annoyed and I got sent to the principal's office. My parents got called. Uh, Which is frustrating for you because it's a little bit unfair, right? I mean, you're just being you. You're not, you don't want to move. You don't want to squirm. You're just, that's what you do. Yeah. And it, and it always happened, like I said, subconsciously and, and kids would, would, would look back and, and I got nicknamed the twitcher. Oh, no. I got bullied. I, I, I don't know. And I even had the principal of the school, uh, after being sent to the principal's office by a teacher, told me, said, when you go back to, to class, I want you to just sit on your hands. Like, when you feel like you got to move, just sit on your hands. And I wow. think that'll solve the problem. How, how old were you when all this was I was going 10 on? years old. Gosh, telling a 10-year-old to sit on their hands. Yeah. There's great advice. Yeah, right? And, yeah. and, and I did. And I, I remember going back and sitting on my hands. But then as I did that, then my feet would start tapping. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> it just was a continuous problem. Yeah, until eventually Mr. Jensen was a, was a person that 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 came into my life and yeah, saw us, the problem as the solution. Jensen. Yeah, tell us tell us about him. Tell us about Mr. Jensen. So tell us the story. So Mr. Jensen, old teacher, had been at at Midway Elementary School for a long time. White hair, big glasses, suspenders, uh, blue tie. I still remember that day when he called me out in class. I was sitting there, I was tapping, and he yelled and he said, "Clint, stay after class." And I remember all the, I mean, can you imagine you're in a, a classroom with fifth graders and all these little 10 year olds turn around and they just go, ooh, Busted. like this is it. Right. Yeah. And I, I'd, and I started thinking in my head, I'm literally going to get expelled as a 10 year old. Ugh. Like this has to be some so world stressful. record. Yeah. And the class leaves and it's completely empty minus me and Mr. Jensen. And he walks to the back of the room and he sits down and he looks at me and he says, Clint, come here. I want to talk to you. And I walk up and I sit down and he's, the first thing he says, Sean, is, is, is Clint, you're not in trouble, but I, I have one question that I need to ask you. And he said, have you ever thought about playing the drums? Gosh. And I sat there and I said, the, the, the drums, what do you mean? He says, Clint, I've been watching you. He says, I see, I see what you do all the time, every single day. He said, you'll sit there and you'll, you'll do something with your right hand. And then you'll tap with your left hand in a completely diff different rhythm, a different tempo. And he says, you just, you just, you can naturally do that. And he said, I want you to try something. He said, can you tap your head and rub your belly at the same time? <laughs> and I remember I gave it a go as a 10 year old oh, and great. I could, I could do it. And, and I have, I've, I've been a person, a lot of people have said this in, in different forms and quotes or, but I, I really do believe it that, that a single moment in time can change a person's life. Yeah, and I believe it, that. And, and and in that moment, he he reached in in his desk, and he opened the top drawer, and inside he pulled out my very first pair of drumsticks mm. that he went that day and bought at a local music store, and put them in my hands, and said, "Here, here's the thing, Clint. I don't think you're a problem. I just I just think you're a drummer." How how often do people get through that story without crying? Oh, well. It, it makes it, me cry. I mean, it just makes me, you know, there's a gospel principle behind this, which is the one. 
100%. Which is that focus on the one and for him to see something in you. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was a terrible student, a horrible student. I have pretty severe ADD. And uh, no teacher ever came to me and said, Sean, I don't think you're obnoxious and annoying. I think you're a comedian. That never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> but was, you still found it, it though. It was more <laughs> of just, well, it found me. Uh, it was more of just get out of my class. Yeah. But I think to, to take that time, that's so that was transformative for you. So did you take up the drums at that point? So I remember I, I took those sticks and he looked at me and he said, Clint, I want, you to, I want you to keep these sticks in your hands as much as you can. And let's just see what happens. Wow. And that was that was 20 years ago. Uh, I, I turned 30 this this year and and my life has has completely changed from that moment. And I, at that time, I'll be honest, I didn't think that it was that significant. Yeah. I remember going like, awesome, this is cool. Like, I don't really know what to do with these in my hand, but yeah. it did give me an outlet. It did give me something to do and something to work on. And the the drumming for me it started out on pots and pans and and furniture and my parents were like <laughs> oh my gosh out of all the instruments <laughs> that you could want to play were your parents as thrilled about this as you were <laughs> not at first my mother my mom she kind of struggles with headaches as it is oh, and was like wow. oh I, let's load up on the ibuprofen because yeah. my child now wants to be a drummer. And, uh, but they were still supportive and they still, you know, encouraged me. I still remember one of the best days of my life was, because uh, for me in my childhood, my, my two passions were, one was drumming and then the other was aviation, was flying. Mm. And one of the best days of my life is when I got my very first drum set and I went on my very first helicopter ride in oh, the wow. same, in the same day. On the same day. Yeah. And, and my parents were a huge part of, of, of that, but so again, parents were super supportive throughout the process, and I played through high school. I started the very first drum line at Wasatch High School, and uh, that still goes and exists today and provides awesome opportunities for kids. I got to college uh, and started uh, the Green Man Group, which is the the, uni- the UVU drum line, their very first drum line, and still exists to this day and provides scholarships for uh, about 17 kids. Wow. Uh, and my whole college education, Sean, was paid for 100% in some form, in some way, because I had drumsticks in my hands. Well, and Mr. Jensen not only inspired you in all the things it did, but I've read a ton of studies about drums' effects on the brain, too. You betcha. Learning rhythms, and especially actual traditional drums, because getting two limbs... So, for our listeners, I'm a drummer, and you can't see me doing my air quotes... I'm a terrible drummer. I took it up in high school, but I can play a basic beat. And uh, But it is amazing the way that it kind of makes connections in your brain. I'm sure he must have known some of that, too. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Mr. Jensen himself wasn't a drummer, but he was he was a caring person that saw a problem as a solution. Yeah. And I really do believe that, Sean, that every person is one success story away from a caring somebody. Yeah, isn't that incredible? And, Gosh. you know, you look at, I mean, a classic motivator, Jim Rohn. Jim mm-hmm. Rohn always said you become the average of the five people that you associate with most. Oh, I've never heard that before. But but what if you could take that, that you know, those five people and create an opportunity for them to then believe in you? Yeah, and I, I think that we've all had at least one. I know I have in my life, uh, but uh, hopefully even more more than one. Somebody who just believes in you and kind of changes the way maybe you think about yourself even 100 percent. something you didn't perceive about yourself yeah and now you do 
Totally. And, and you don't see that always within yourself, especially young people where you're bombarded by social media and constant comparison and what they're doing and what vacation they did and how many likes they have. And mm-hmm. it's it's easy to beat yourself up, but you never forget those people. That's yeah. another significant thing. When yeah. you have those people in your life, you do not forget them. But again, you know, this goes back to just a wonderful gospel principle about all the sheep. And if you have one that gets lost, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go after the one. That's right. And I think that happens for parents with children. I think it happens for us with friends, with whatever. That's just a great story. So so where did you go from Heber? When did you leave Heber? Uh, so I left Heber. I actually, so I, I went to went to flight school as I was a senior in high school. Mm, amazing. Um Aviation was just a huge part of my life, and I wanted to fly. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. And so I had a year until I, I graduated high school till I was old enough to go on a mission. Yeah. So during that year, I went to flight school. And really, I mean, one of the best days of my life was when I took off in an airplane, and I looked over in the seat next to me, and <laughs> nobody else was there. Uh, I can't even imagine. Like, the first day you solo as a pilot, you just you just never forget that moment. And I knew, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I, I had the opportunity to go on a mission. And when I got, uh, I served in a far and exotic land called Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Yep. It was, uh, Idaho and was a tough language to learn. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, we we pulled it off and I hate, I hate potatoes too, Sean. I learned quick that God has a sense of humor. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, My mom, she made Mormon family, right? So every Sunday it's, it's, it's mashed potatoes and green jello and, and roast, right? Of course. That is the Mormon dinner. That is the staple. Yeah. And, uh, and she'd plop those nasty potatoes on my plate every Sunday. Wow. And she'd say, eat your potatoes. And I, I hate just the texture. Like, And I know some people are like, oh, my gosh, how could you hate potatoes? I do. I just don't like them. The, yeah. I just, it's, not my, sure. it's not my thing. And she'd put those things on my plate, and she'd tell me <laughs> to eat my potatoes. And I'd, I'd tell her no. Just, I mean, I'm just this smart little teenager. And your defiance. No, I'm not doing it. And you- I kid you not, Sean, from the time <laughs> I was I – from the time I could remember till the time I left on my mission – my mom said, eat your potatoes or God's going to send you to Idaho no, on your mission. No, she did not. Yep. Did she really say that? Every single oh, Sunday when potatoes were made, providence. I would not eat them. Yeah. God's going to send you to Idaho on your mission. <laughs> and my mother, I mean, literally, she was laughing so hard. We, we filmed uh, the, the, the opening of my mission call and she's just dying. Sure. Because sure. she, she, she knew. And, and I told her, I'd look back and say, God doesn't send... Utah missionaries to Idaho, and she'd look back and say, "Watch it happen." You bet he does, and it happened. And how was your mission? I absolutely loved it. Boise, Idaho, is a place of miracles. Anybody that's from Idaho that's listening to this, I love you. There's just a special breed of people. Those those potato spuds really do something, whether it's the water or or what they do to the air. But it's I, I mean, just the experience of being so close to a mission. I think a lot of uh, elders or sisters that are preparing to go on a mission, they, they want to go far away. I remember I did yeah, because you'd, you'd see the return missionaries and they had all the stories of going to Botswana and they went yeah. to Australia and they the ate cockroaches and, and all that. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We, I There's lived in the dirt for two years. Yeah. Like I was like, that's so cool. Like I want that experience. And I got sent to Boise, Idaho, but you really do learn that it's not so much about the place, but it's more about the people that you serve. And yeah. 
And that's how it was for me. And it's nice because Idaho is so close. Yeah, you can I've go had, back. Yeah, I've had friends that have, that have gone to Australia or China or, sure. or, or excuse me, Japan or or Europe, and they, they never really make it back. Maybe yeah. once or twice, but... Yeah, it's that one trip, that yeah, one, yeah. I'm going to go back to my mission now yeah. and see it all. Idaho, I've been back yeah. eight times, eight different times to it's see awesome. family and baptisms and ceilings. And Gosh, then what a blessing. people are coming here to Utah. It was I, a great You place. know, one of the things that becomes a common theme, you know, we had Anne-Marie Otanez on and, and she had gotten called, you know, she was living in Salt Lake, went home to California to open her call, got called to Temple Square. And her brother just laughing about it because yeah. she that was the last place she wanted to be. Yep. And then once we talked about it, just the blessings. And I think everybody kind of comes to that realization. I shouldn't say everybody, but I, I know most people I know kind of get to that point where you go, wow, I can't like, you know, for me, Osorno, Chile, I can't imagine anywhere else. Yeah. And you yeah. start to see little things on your mission. I, I assume you did. I saw little things where I went, oh, that's why I'm here, including... I wanted to go home when I first got out. Yeah, I, I didn't. I did not want to be there. I wanted to go home, but for me to go home, I was on an island in the southern tip of Chile. Mm-hmm. I literally would have had to take a taxi to a bus to a taxi to a plane to another plane. To, <laughs> it's just too much work. It's too much work. Yeah, it was. I was on an island. It was like, like fine. You know, I'll, 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 I'll eat the. I'll eat I'll the rice stay, and beans. I'll stay another day. I'll try it one <laughs> more day until I finally grew to love it. Yeah. It's oh, so that's cool. awesome. So you got home from your mission, and where did you go from there? Uh, well, I, I remember. I remember one of the first places that I actually went to was the DMV. Yeah, because the DMV, I had to renew my driver's license, and I walked into the DMV, and I, I, I first thing I, I remember, my number was two four two. I waited in the DMV for like an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, I walked up. The lady didn't even look at me, and she told me to stick my head in that little device that you have to read. Yeah, and and and, and it's basically a vision test. My test, yeah. And I put my head in. I I, I pushed click. And it was broken. I couldn't, I, nothing, nothing was popping up. Mm. And I looked at the lady and I said, ma'am, your machine's not working. And she looked back and she said, young man, I've been here for six and a half hours. I've seen literally 80 people today. They've all stuck their head in the little device and read the letters. <laughs> read the letters. Wow. And I, I, I went back and I put my head in again and it just, it wasn't working. She comes from around the desk and puts her head into the device and she reads C-K-G-L-F-Z-Y. Wow. Read the letters. No way. And I put my head back in. This is like the fourth time now, Sean. And I couldn't read the letters. And she looks back at me and she goes, uh, honey, I think you're blind. What? And I said, what are you talking about? I said, ma'am, I, I, I drove here. And she said, well, you ain't driving back. And she denied my paperwork that day. And was this, this was a revelation to you. You didn't know. I had no had idea. This level of I had no problems. idea. Had you, worn, and, had you worn glasses before? Nope. No, no glasses, no, no glasses, nothing. nothing. Yeah. And so what, what had happened is, long story short, I was diagnosed with a disease that's called keratoconus. And all you really need to know about that is that it's just a, a degenerative disease that over time, your eye and the cornea of your eye gets thinner and thinner and thinner. Until eventually my prognosis, because my eyes were as bad as an 87-year-old's. Wow. And they said by the by the time I would be either 35 to 40, I would either be blind or I would have uh, corneal transplants. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, where they would take a donor cornea and put it into my eye. Hopefully my eye accepted it. If not, then uh, th- there was always the risk of just of, of eventually going blind. So this is right after your mission. 
Yeah. Right after. You just finished serving the Lord. Was there any sense of why me? Oh, like, 100. Was there a sense of like, hey, uh, I just got done <laughs> giving my entire life yep. to my mission. Yep. And now this, really? Yep. yep. And, I, and I was shocked. I was the guy that I came home from my mission and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to fly. And... And there I was as, as, a, as a kid that had my eye on the sky and then literally watched as the sky fell in all around me. And I had no direction. And that was a time where there was questions asked to the Lord. There was questions of, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, like I've tried to do everything right. I've tried to do what you've asked me to do. I served really hard on a mission. I, I've been righteous. I've tried to make good decisions my whole life. And I understood God's will and how we need to align ourselves with Heavenly Father's will. But sometimes I always wish that my will would have been his. Yeah. You know, I kind of says I just remember saying why 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 can't I do this? Why do I have to go through this? Yeah, yeah. what, you know? And then and then it was frustrating because then there was no real answer as to here's the next path. Or here's the, it was complete darkness for a long time. And you ask any missionary coming home from a mission, that's hard in and of itself. Yeah. You know, being home, not knowing where you fit in, you always feel right. a little awkward. Right. It, it's just, a, it's a tough transition. And not only just, the, you know, losing the spirit and losing the mantle of being a missionary, but then having no direction and a, and really a true passion in my life. Yeah literally ripped away. I, I can only imagine with the passion for flying, because if there's one thing you have to have, yep. it's good vision. Yep. yep. And you get told at this age that you have the vision of an 87-year-old. Yep. It's amazing. And, been, and, and what had happened is my eyes had just progressively, slowly over time, yeah. gotten worse and worse. And keratoconus patients, if we squint, like if, if you squint really hard, you can see better. Mm. And I just thought how I saw was how everybody else saw. Yeah. Well, that's a good question because it's not like you have something to compare it to. Yeah. It's, yep. This has been your experience the entire time. Yep. So where did that take you? So I, I was that, that kid that just had kind of no direction, had no idea what to do. So I ended up going to college like yeah. what a lot of kids do. I have no clue what to do. I guess I'll go to college. I guess I'll go yeah. to college. Sure. And so I ended up uh, going to Utah Valley University. Yeah. Which literally changed my life. Yeah, uh, that school will always have a special place in my heart because there, uh, in that university, I saw what was possible. I learned to network. I learned to make friends. I learned to receive an education outside of the classroom. Uh, the hallways of UVU. This sounds weird, but they're 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 in some ways, Sean, sacred to me. Yeah, because I believe it. Just the experiences that That's I had in student government and the ambassador program and the leadership program and what they allowed the students to accomplish and to 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 dream and to apply at that, that university really did set me up and for you, everything you, that's happened. You were the student body vice principal. Vice president. Vice president. Not vice principal, of course. Vice president. Vice president of your student body. I was. So you were very, very involved. I'll tell you, um, you know, I've done some a lot of work with. Uh, UVU, both working in my career with their bookstore, and then I've done several events doing comedy over the years with UVU. I think, you know, it's easy for that school to get overshadowed. It's in the same county as BYU, which is this ominous yeah. presence. I shouldn't say ominous. That makes it sound evil. There's <laughs> nothing evil about BYU. But it's just such a big presence. But UVU is an incredible institution. Oh, and I mean, where it is. wonderful. And where, where it was and where it is now and... 
I mean, it's it's it is a gem of the state, I believe, yeah, I and, love, and it's I love producing such amazing kids. And so my experience was a hundred and ten percent at Utah Valley University. Incredible, did so. I am now on the edge of my seat because I didn't know anything about your eyes. I'm sure our listeners and I, I want to know what happened. What happened with your eyes? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So I, 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 I couldn't fly anymore. So I ended up going to college. I I, I majored in speech communication and leadership. I my dad worked in the OR and uh, in, in, in the hospital. I kind of grew up sawing surgeries and and learned about an orthopedic consultant and they made really good money and you got to make money right because you got to be able to support a family and pay bills and all this stuff and so actually I I ended up finishing school and then got into medicine and Mm. got into the medical career and after college is when I found out uh in 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 just a a regular routine eye checkup uh because because what they tried to basically do is I had I had specialized contacts that were built for my eyes. Okay. Did and this allow you to drive? It, so this was what allowed me to drive. So you were able to drive. Okay. Correct. And then just for the most part function. Yeah. I, I didn't have wonderful eyesight, but I could I could do what I needed to do. Yeah. Because what they were trying to do was prolong corneal transplants. And okay. I'm still fairly young, but the yeah. disease was still progressing. Mm. Uh, in a, in a, just a, a, a doctor uh, consultation, I learned about a brand new procedure that was called cross-linking and it wasn't FDA approved. It was still deemed experimental, but mm. they were looking for patients to, to do the, the procedure. It was still fairly cheap. It was all out of pocket stuff. Insurance wouldn't pay for it. Sure. And what they basically do is they rough up your corneas and they, they, they drop vitamin B drops into your eye and they put it under a UV light. And it wow. strengthens the collagen fibers in your eyes to mm. the point where it maintains the flatness and the shape of your eyes, and then it stops the progression of the disease. Mm. So I had that procedure done to my right and my left eye, and it worked. No way. And it stopped the progression of the disease, saved my eyesight. Um, I still have to, to wear customized uh, prescription lenses, but it's not getting any worse, and I'm not going to go blind. Does this preclude you from flying now? Um, so that's a great question. And everybody asked, do you still get to fly? And the, then the answer is yes. Wow. Uh, I can maintain a third class medical, but I cannot hold a second or a first class medical. What's the difference between that? Uh, so first class is like your airline pilots or anybody gotcha. that's got responsibility or that's flying for, for yeah. a profession. And a third class is basically, I can do it for fun. Yeah. I still have my private pilot's license. And uh, I still try to stay current and go fly as much as I possibly can. But as far as a career, I, I couldn't I couldn't do that anymore. You know, and sometimes it's interesting because we're going to get into now kind of where your career has taken you. But, you know, you wonder, had this not derailed you? Because, I mean, where you are now is such an incredible place. You know, I, I look back, I know sometimes the Lord put obstacles in my way that I went, well, wait a minute, why that? It feels like an obstacle, and then ten years later, you go, "Wow, absolutely!" Had that not happened, I wouldn't have been taken on the path that I'm on. That's that's awesome. So you play drums through UBU. You mentioned the Green Man Group, which yeah. is very fun. You guys are in the green bodysuits. Uh-huh. I've seen I've seen some clips of that, which cool. is fantastic. Um, when when did you start to realize? You know what? I've got kind of a gift for performing, kind of generally. Yeah, in in college, uh, I actually well, actually, very first it started back when I was in high school, and I, I spoke in church, 
And a guy owned a leadership consulting company that was in the audience. And he heard me speak and he came up to me after and he said, hey, I, you really got something. Your ability to be so young and to still be able to communicate the way that you do, I, I would love to have you come and speak at a youth leadership conference down in St. George, Utah. Hmm. And I said, well, who's the audience? He's like, it's other high school kids. And I was still in high school. And I said, I don't feel really comfortable doing that. I, yeah. I don't know how I could necessarily <laughs> relate. And that, he's like, listen, I'll pay you 500 bucks to do it and to go down and teach a workshop. for 500 for, bucks in high school. That's big money. Oh, man, that's yeah. huge. So I, I, said, I said, sure. I said, you, uh, you got a deal. So I put together this little workshop. Again, I had been a drummer for a while. So the workshop was called To the Beat of the Drum. That it was all teamwork based oh, principles. Cool. And I went down and I had a blast. I taught uh, two different workshops, lots of different kids. But then I had, I had six other schools that came up after and they said, We want you to come speak at our school. Awesome. And that, Sean, was kind of when it opened up this like, hmm. This this could be a thing. Like this could like That's so you know. Great. And then and then I had the opportunity. I went on my mission. I got back and couldn't fly anymore. So through college, I spoke here and there. I got I got uh, affiliated with a, a a company. It's called LeaderCore. They don't exist anymore, uh, but they booked me uh, all over the place. And I was speaking at, at college events or high school events. Or I thought I just had a really cool job, yeah. but still never looked at at speaking as a professional career. Uh, I was in the youth industry speaking. I felt like that wasn't going to sustain me in a future family. Yeah. And so I, I I left that and I ended up going into the medical field. I, I, I took a completely different path for five years post-college. And what were you doing in the medical field? I worked as an orthopedic consultant. So I would go into the OR and I would help direct the surgeons on how to do orthopedic surgeries. We did cardiothoracic surgeries, Jeez. cranial maxillofacial stuff, all your sports medicine procedures to rotator cuffs, ACLs, total knee replacements, hip replacements, a uh, lot of stuff. And it was... A fascinating world. It was it was high paced. It was uh, sh- very stressful at times. Sure, but I was also so I was making really good money. Yeah, in I that can career. Imagine. Yeah, but the but the hard part about the whole thing is that almost every single day uh, in that five year post college span in, in in medicine, I was haunted by a quote that was told to me by a mentor in college. Another Mr. Jensen, you could you could call him. Sure. And the quote was by Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. And the quote reads, To live is the rarest thing in the world, for most people merely exist, and that is all. Wow. To live. Like, to really to actually live. To live. really live. And I, and I remember thinking about that, and, and I said to myself, you know what? I'm just, I'm just existing. Mm. Every day I'm doing the same thing, nine to five, rinse and repeat, nine to five, rinse yeah. and repeat. And I, I've always loved the scripture in, 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 in the creation part and, 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 and when we, we learn about the creation and the seven days and, and what happened. And, and the Lord made things to fill the measure of their creation. Yeah. And I was not fulfilling my measure of creation. Yeah. In, in layman's terms, I guess I love Mark Twain's quote where he said, in life, you, there's, there's two important days in, in a person's existence, in a person's life. The day you're born and then the day you figure out why. Yeah, yeah I love that quote. And, and for me, like, I, 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 it, was, 
It was not to be in the OR. That was not why I was That's born. That's not why you were put here. Yeah. You so so how do you make that leap then? How do you make that transition? I great question. I so here in, in the story this problem of okay, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I have no idea where I'm going to go. And I remember I was sitting at a burger joint with two of my best friends, both both professionals working in 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 their different fields. Their fields, yeah. And I, I posed the question. I said, guys, wouldn't it be crazy if you could find one job that allows you to do three things? And the three things were this. First one was, what if it allowed you to do what you loved most of the time? Yeah. And then number two, what if it provided financially for you in a way that was sufficient for your needs? You didn't have to be super rich, but you weren't dirt poor. It just... Yeah. Sufficient for your needs, and that's another gospel, you know, principle. Sure. You know, having sufficient for our needs, right. and then and then the third part is is purpose. What if it allows you to do something bigger than yourself? Because mm. we talk about passion, and that's very much about you, yeah, and what you love to do, and what motivates you and fulfills you. But purpose is about people, and it's about. Doing something more in this world. Yeah, yeah. it's not about being, being the best back. in the world. It's about being the best for the world. So you were still single. I was. At this time. Still the eligible bachelor. I was. Now you've got the fancy new contacts so you could see girls better. Yeah, exactly. I, I could actually, you know, you know, know who I was going on a date with. who you're going out with. Absolutely. That's, that's always helpful. Um, so, so you make this leap. You decide, I'm done with the corporate world. What was the first step? Like... How do you step off that cliff? I think a lot of people have had that dream, have had that, I want to. And it's funny because most who I know are performers. They're actors or singers or, you know, the people we know. Um, but a lot of them, it's being a pilot or being a woodworker or, you know, I, yep. I want to run a metal forge or, you know, whatever it is. How did you take that first step? Was it, hey, I'm quitting? Was it I'm putting together a plan first? What? How did you step off that cliff that made it so that a week later you couldn't go, eh, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to step back onto the cliff. Yep, yep. How did you do that? We as people, we, we can choose to live a life by design or we can choose to live a life by default. And so to answer your question, the power was in the design. It was in the details. I, I What helped me to do the leap of leaving a career that was full of benefits and a salary and and what you would consider uh just yeah stable career yes yeah, stability yeah, right stability yeah yeah what 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 allowed me to do that is i got specific okay. what i did is i asked myself okay clint what do you need in 1 month to function and a lot of people would call this budgeting. A lot of people would call this crunching the numbers. Yeah. So I just asked myself, okay, for food, I'm spending this. My utilities are this. My mortgage is this. I had a home at the time. Uh, my car insurance is this. This is. Yeah. I, and I got. I said, okay, to live and and not be destitute, not going like literally paycheck to paycheck, but to be able to just to live. Yeah. Yeah. Function month to month. Yeah. This is what I need. And then I said, okay, in my new pursuit of 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 living. This is this is what I'm gonna have to do, and I also had I also had an emergency fund sure. of, of of about six months of my expenses, nice. so I had a little bit of a buffer, and I think there's ways, Sean, to de-risk a situation. Yeah. Another thing too is I, I found my Mr. Jensen's, I found mentors, I found people that not only believed mm. in me, but also had been down the road before. 
Yeah. Find mentors. So you didn't was, have to create entirely your own path on this. Correct. You yes, sir. Isaac Newton kind of figured out the way. Yeah, yeah. Isaac Newton, he always said, if I have ever seen further in my life, it was because I was standing on the shoulders of giants that allowed me to see. Yeah. And so I did. I found those giants and I, 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 I took them to lunch and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking. What would you recommend? And you learn so much about what's possible, how to make something work. And uh, I took the leap. That's awesome. I made the jump. So, so was the idea acting and speaking at the time or was it just speaking? Did acting come after? No, acting was, was actually before, while I was still in the medical field. Okay. I, I, have, a, I have a bucket list, Sean. And uh, my whole life, my bucket list is a big deal. If it goes on the bucket list, it's not a matter of if, it's when it's going to happen. That's it has awesome. to happen. That's so cool. So, so six years ago, I wrote on my bucket list, be in a movie. Hmm. I was like, that'd be cool, right? Like I had some friends that had done it. I, and, and not anything big. Like I just wanted to be an extra. Like yeah. just go hang out just on a movie set, a movie. have that experience. And it was number 43 on the list. You have a bucket list with 43 items on it? Oh, there's more than 43. Just just being a movie was <laughs> roughly, number forty three. Roughly, how many items are on your bucket list? I think right now there's about a hundred and fifty six things. Wow. Yeah, and a lot have been checked off, but there's so, still a lot that haven't that I'm still working. My on. bucket list has one item on it, and that's buy a bucket. That's it. <laughs> I need to start. That's the a bucket. good start. Yeah, get the yeah. bucket, then get the list, and then... I, I always want to start the list, but around eight, I get tired. And I, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> you need a bucket yeah, list, tomorrow. Sean. You got to get a bucket wow. list. Okay, so so to be in a movie. Now, I, I'm dying to get to how we first got to know you and how our audience probably knows you. Is this the first step in moviedom is Saturday's Warrior? Yeah, this was it. Because so, I, I, I mean, I had the, I had the bucket list. So I, I called, I called the, uh, the I, I Googled uh, acting agencies in Utah. First one popped up and I said, okay, uh, I got to call it. I picked up the phone, talked to the lady. I said, hey, I, I have a bucket list. I want to be in a movie. And she's like, well, have you ever acted before? And I said, no. She's like, well, what about theater? You've done theater before, right? And I said, never. And she said, well, then you can't be in a, in a movie. And I said, no, you don't understand. Like, it's it's on the list. Like, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. Yeah. And, and she's like, well, have you done anything else? And I told her I had spoken a little bit, and then I had been a professional drummer. And she said, well, we'll come in. Let me interview you, and maybe I'll sign you for that. Long story short, she ended up signing me on the condition uh, that she could represent me for music. And my part of the condition was that she would send me on a movie audition. Yeah. She agreed. And two days, Sean, after she signed me, the production company rolled into town for Saturday's Warrior. Wow. And she made a promise. And so she sent me. They, she only on had, I think, I think it was around four or five people that she could send to this audition. Mm. And I was one of them because she promised. And I went in and I, Sean, I didn't even know how to slate. <laughs> I don't so, even. So for our for our listeners who who aren't you know familiar with this industry, you walk into a room in an audition, and your agent should have prepped you a little bit for this, knowing you you didn't you've never auditioned. But yeah, uh, but the the person running the audition will say slate. You're supposed to look at the camera, say, here's my name, here's what I'm reading for. Sometimes they'll say, slate your age, whatever. Slate just means basically tell us who you are Yeah. before you record. Because a lot of times the director isn't even in the room. It's a casting director. That's right. And so the casting director will work with you and go through the audition and record it. Then casting director gets rid of the bad people, takes all the good stuff to the director, the producer, and they sit down and go through it. So you didn't even know how to slate. I didn't know how to slate. And, and the casting director, she says, slate. And I go... 
I don't know what that means. And she looks and she, and she, she directly says to me, are you kidding? And I go, listen, I have a bucket list and I'm just trying to get, and she's, you're kidding me. And I said, no, I said, I'm just trying to live. This and, is going to be my new line. Now, my new line, anytime I'm going to cut in front of people now from now on when they say, excuse me, I'm in front. <laughs> no, I have a bucket list. I just have a bucket list. I have a bucket list. Just, why, why are you late? I, I have a bucket list. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, honey. I'm going to be gone for three weeks. Don't ask why. Yeah. I just I have, have a bucket, bucket list. list. Yeah. It, it works. It, it seems to work so well. I'm rethinking my bucket list <laughs> of just buying a bucket. So so Saturday's Warrior, when I, so I'm quite a bit older than you are. Uh, I've got a good 15 years on you. When I was a kid, we used to have the cassette, the audio cassette of the original Saturday's Warrior. Awesome. And I loved it, man. It was, oh, when I was a little kid, it was so dramatic, you know, and... and uh, It was a big deal. And so exciting. And so they, they did this remake of it. You end up getting cast as the comedy lead. And you are, it's so, what I'm impressed by now getting to know you, it's so not who you are. Like you're you're a, 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 just an average grateful humble dude and yet you played elder kessler who's the, the who is the most pompous arrogant cocky, just arrogant oh my yeah. gosh you were so funny and <laughs> if our audience has not seen the remake of saturday's warrior it's actually really cool it's not what i expected because it's done straight i mean it's the 1970s yep again they didn't modernize it or anything else but oh my gosh and there's this great scene that uh, my family and I just love where you're coming back from your mission and they go to announce, you know, they announce it over the intercom and you do this great entrance and they get your last name wrong. I don't know why that, that scene makes me laugh so hard. Tell me, tell us about your experience uh, making Saturday's Warrior being on a, a real movie. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I was literally just immersed into a world that I had no, uh, honestly, no business being a part of. But I, I got really lucky and fortunate, and uh, you're on set with so many different people with so many stories and diverse uh, experiences. And oh. we had people from L.A., we had people from Utah, we had people that that were LDS, people that weren't LDS, from yeah. actors to cast to, to 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 staff. And I mean, it was just honestly, too, that the spirit of that set. I've done I've done four movies now uh, since then, and that none of the films have really compared to just uh, the family feeling and the spirit that existed on that mm. set. Really, I'm still to this day, uh, you, you take Kenny Holland or, or Monica Moore Smith or Brian and Allison Clark, uh, Anna Danes, like all these people, they are still family. We still text. We're on a text group just today talking about the good old times and, and what we're doing and we've supported each other and loved each other. And it, it really did become a family. And I guess from what I've heard from most people is most movie sets don't feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's definitely a spirit and it comes through in that movie, I think for sure. Um, Dave Nibley was on a few weeks ago, you know, and he played a missionary in the film, the best two years. And he talked about just how special it was to be a missionary again. Did you get to feel that? Absolutely. Yeah. To put the name tag on again and to, to track and to talk to people and to have awesome. a companion that you couldn't stand. Oh, yeah. Brought back tons of memories. <laughs> Did you and your companion fight like regular companions sometimes? Did oh, you yeah. And your, your movie companion? Uh, yeah, sure. You guys kind of kind of got after each yeah, other? Yeah, Morgan bit. Gunter, who plays Elder Green, is He's one so of my best good. friends. He's such a good dude. Can I, I just tell him. you, you guys together, I mean, it reminded me of every companionship I saw in the mission. The one just cocky, 
let's do this. And then kind of the more altruistic, all energy. Yep. Oh, you guys were yep. great. Yeah. Well, such thank you. a, such a good movie. And to our, our listeners, if you have not seen it, it's still available on DVD. I don't know if it's on, well, I know it's on iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So it's I in actually, Desert Book and Covenant Communications. So funny enough, I've donated a lot of money to the Saturday's Warrior Cause because I downloaded it on iTunes and told my kids, okay, we're going to watch this again because Clint's coming in. And then they said, oh, we actually own the DVD. We bought it at Costco. There so I now own it on iTunes and on DVD. Oh, I'm, that's awesome. I'm becoming the the, uh, the Saturday's Warrior mega fan. I love it. Um, and then you had a uh, a film that you did with Jack Black in it. Tell us about that film. Yeah. So since since Saturday's Warrior, uh, that went to uh, the, the big screen, as, as they call it. And so... When that kind of happens, I, I think a lot of people think you can act. So <laughs> I got asked to do other projects and other wonderful That's things great. that I was grateful for. And one movie was, uh, it, it's called Unexpected Race. And I was cast as, as uh, one of the leads in that movie. And Jack Black was a part of it. A part of it. And uh, John Hedder from Napoleon Dynamite. Awesome. And uh, a, a, an extensive cast of other wonderful people. And that's just, it's cool, Sean, uh, what, what happens when you dream? And people ask, man, you're this actor and you're doing, and it just started from a bucket list. Yeah. Pe- people need to dream more while they're awake. It's amazing what that's happens That's a big theme you of do. yours, dream while you're awake. It is. Where did that come from? I just think... Uh, th- you, I mean, the actual phrase, like, is that something you read before? Or did you kind of foster that? You know, I don't know if I ever heard it somewhere. I don't, I, I think it is coined as a phrase or I, and I probably should quote whoever says it, but I... It just always rang true to me because dream while you're awake. I yeah, love dream that. more while you're awake, darn it, and and yeah. then act and live. And life is so short. I, I, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say it, Sean. But I'm going to say it. I mean, out of out of eighty million sperms, you're the one that won, <laughs> right? Like you won. And if you're listening to this, you won. You won. You so, already overcame yeah, the biggest like, obstacle yes. there is. So what are you doing about it? My there. goodness, like you're born to win and, and dream more while you're awake and live a life by design, not by default. And yeah, they're cheesy or whatever quotes, but oh, man, they've changed great. my life. Well, and it's great. now. So now you spend a lot of your time as a presenter. You speak to school groups, to corporate groups, to you know any large organization that will listen to your message. What's the uh, crux of your message? Is that it? Is it dream dream while you're awake or what what's the main message that yeah, you go out and speak on great question i my 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 target audiences are either teenagers college students educators or corporate yeah. and what i mean by that is is managers or really anybody that that employs or is hiring millennials i go in and i talk about how to empower and engage the millennial generation in the workplace uh, I am a millennial and yeah. so many companies are losing millennials left and right because they're not connecting. We're not, we're not learning to collaborate versus just control. And this generation, we're not looking just for a paycheck and good benefits. Yeah. We're looking for purpose. We're looking for significance in our lives, just not just success. So we, we talk a lot about that in the corporate side, but on, on the teenager side, I'm, I'm doing a lot of firesides, which I love. Uh, yeah. Kelly, my wife, she sings. Uh, and is an amazing vocalist. So she comes with me, and we we get to do the firesides together, which has been a joy. You can't you can't just drop Kelly into the middle of the conversation. <laughs> we do. We need where, to where, talk where, about where, her. Where, where last we left off in your love life, uh, you were I was unable a single to see man. Women. You were unable to see women. Then you miraculously were able to see women. Yes, which is a bonus. Yeah. Tell us about Kelly. 
so Kelly actually came about in my life because of Saturday's Warrior. No way. Yeah. Again, a bucket list. I'm telling you, Sean, if there's anything after this podcast that you you, you get from this, get a bucket list. It, I'm, I'm going to do a bucket list. It I've is never a game, done one. It is a game changer. I have uh, never done one. She she was in L.A. working as an actress and a model mm. and a vocalist and did theater. Uh, she's from Orem, Utah. And I was, I, I was on the set of Saturday's Warrior, and there were some people that had mentioned her name. They're like, oh, there's this girl in L.A., She's like a Mormon like you. She works in your Mormon temples. She's awesome. You need to meet her. You're single. She's single. And uh, I just think you should should connect with her. They showed me a picture of her. She was super cute girl. Uh, had tons of stuff going for her. And I said, shoot, why not? Uh, so I, I, I in that moment, I, I got on Facebook and I shot her a message. And I said, hey, I'm filming this movie, Saturday's Warrior. And I no met way. some friends. And I wanted to say hi. And I was super hopeful. And she didn't write back. Wait, wait, wait. Did you tell her that dating a girl named Kelly was on your bucket list? No, I didn't. I <laughs> I'm, didn't. Sorry, I'm sorry to see a pattern. <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> I was like, I, I've thought about you since you, the pre-existence. You, you need to go out with me. Forward Nation, it's, it's a real list. thing. <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't answer you. Yeah, she doesn't answer. Uh, and perfect. I go, wow. Which, which, well, made, that was... which made you want her more. It made you want her to answer you more. It's true. Right. My wife it's... played very hard to get. Yeah. And the, the more she... Just ignored me the, the the more I wanted to ask her out. People want what they can't have. Exactly right. And uh, so she didn't write back. And I just, and then I, I wrote back and I said, well, it's uh, nice meeting you. Sorry if this was creepy. You know, <laughs> it's a random Facebook message. And then she wrote back in that moment and said, I'm so sorry. I've been busy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, nice to meet you. And we ended up talking uh, back and forth for nine months, Sean. Wow. It took me to convince this girl to go on one date with me. Now, granted, she was in L.A. and I was in Utah, but there were times when I was in L.A. Yeah. and it just never worked out. And there was times when she was in Utah and it never worked never out. together. And I'll never forget, it was October 27th mm. was the day of our first date. And that was also the day I just had quit my job. No way. Yeah, what a pickup line. Wow. What do you do uh, yeah. for a living, Clint? Uh, nothing. Oh, nothing. nothing. I, I, I'm unemployed. I am unemployed uh, for three and a half hours <laughs> yeah. now. Will you marry me? Uh, right? Yeah. And what made it even more awkward? Okay, I've been waiting nine months to just to, like talk sure. to this woman. And she shows up with a whiteboard and a marker. What? And and I, I, I'm like, hi, it's so nice to meet you. And she takes the whiteboard out and starts writing like, nice to meet you too. And I go... Oh my gosh, she's she's a mute. Like what? she she can't speak. She can't speak. <laughs> I go, you're kidding. Like how could the story get any better, right? Like nine months, and now the girl can't even talk to me. And did you write down? I used to be blind. It's okay. <laughs> I used to be blind. It's, it's okay. all good. We'll 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 get the handicap parking and, and yeah, we'll get yeah. It's, it's we'll go to Disneyland and have a blast. <laughs> let us on all the rides. Lines. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we. Uh, uh, so the reason was because she was on vocal rest. She had done vocal cord damage oh, in the last wow. play that she was in. And her doctor said, listen, you will never sing again if you keep talking. No so she had us whiteboard. And, I mean, we communicated. It was about halfway through the day. And then finally, I mean, she was just laughing. We were having, I mean, it was so awkward. Yeah. And she finally talked. And that was our first date. And uh, we were we were married eight months after that. That's incredible. So, what a great story. Yeah, I love her. She's oh, so cool. She's awesome. so talented. And how long have you guys been married now? Uh, for four months. 
You've been married for four, four months. months. That yep. is incredible. Yeah. Good for it, you. I finally found her. The, the Lord threw me a bone. He said, no, nah, I feel bad. Here you go. It, you know, I will say, knowing a lot of speakers, singers, whatever, people who pursue their passions, right? Um, Jason Hewlett and I, to, which you're good friends with Jason I Hewlett. I love that man. Is he not? He's the greatest guy. Fantastic. I, Top shelf, first class. The hardest thing him. about interviewing Jason Hewlett is getting him to talk about how awesome he is. He won't do it. Yeah. Yep. But that's okay. With the rest of us, I'll do. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about his wife and your wife must be the same. It takes a special woman to really say, okay. I'm I'm going to go on this ride with you. And That's there right. are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. Yep. But I'm going to support you in this ride. And if you can find that person for the dreamers, for those who will really pursue their passions. So important. You need to have that. I think you really need need that. And so now you, you're doing all this speaking, you're touring, uh, you know, with, with uh, all of the speaking to all these different groups. You're acting. You have another movie coming up called Trek. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about Trek. Yeah, it's a new LDS film that that comes out this next spring. And it's all about the handcart Trek, the young women, young men's handcart Trek. Uh, In modern times, if you've ever gone on Trek in your ward or in your stake, you will love this movie. Did you ever go on a Trek? Oh, you betcha I did. Yeah, We did it. I, I, I never did it as a youth. Okay. Uh, but I got called to be a pa there a few go. years ago and dreaded. Oh, I did not want to do this. <laughs> I tried to think of every way to get out of it. Yep. I get hot really easily. I didn't. I just did not want to do Trek. Best, most amazing experience. I'd go tomorrow again. I'd go every week. Yeah. Just so is that shooting already? Is it done? Shooting? We're done. We're You're done. done we're, we're done filming. And yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're just they're You know how strategy is with film and sure. releasing a movie. And, yeah. So they're they're waiting till till next spring, just right before Trek season. Before be- everybody begins. goes on Trek, yeah, yep. they'll get the groups yeah. together and they'll watch Trek before they go. That is just awesome, Clint. You've got a lot going on. Oh, it's really exciting. I've been very blessed. So I've got a couple of other questions that I want to tackle before sure. we have kind of one one final question. Um, you are a millennial. You're the first. I think you're the first. You might be the first sub forty person we've had on. Well, working with lemons. Uh, Robbie came on. He's in his twenties, but you you really understand kind of this millennial generation. You've obviously spent time, and right now I can see the church working really hard to connect with millennials. Yep. And the millennials, um, in fact, there's a there's a, a wonderful podcast that I mention. I feel like almost every week called Leading LDS that has done um, has actually done some podcasts of working specifically with millennials. What advice do you have for those leaders who are working with millennials? Anything that you can share, like for 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 anyone who or who may have kids who are millennials and maybe are struggling with stuff within the church? What's the best way to reach out? I think one of the biggest things is help them to have spiritual experiences. Mm. We are losing so many young people in this church. And it's for a lot of different reasons. I think one of the biggest reasons is connection. We're not connecting with them. Uh, some of the, uh, what maybe people would deem as, as traditional or older style or just the formalities of, of sometimes the, the LDS culture doesn't necessarily resonate with a generation that is in a world of, of instant gratification and quick right. and fast and highly entertaining and, and CGI and full of 3D grad. Like it's just... It's a different world, but the but what out of all the firesides and all the kids that I've spoken to and worked with over the years and mentored, 
they 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 get the spirit. And you ask people that are leaving this church, especially the millennials, none of them for the most part deny God when they leave. They still mm. love God. They still want to feel close to God. They still want to have the, the the spirit. They just don't want the church. So I think if we can you know, if I was a young men's leader or a stake president or a bishop or I would, how do I help my youth feel spiritual experiences more than, than less often? How, how do we bring that into their, their lives? And I think it's, it's doing wonderful firesides and, and bringing in stories and allowing them to see other people that are doing wonderful things in life that are still strong members of the church. Uh, the, these podcasts, Sean, are a great example of that. But but to feel the Savior, to feel the love of Heavenly Father, to feel the Spirit of the Holy Ghost, the more we have that in our lives and the more we focus on helping them understand the doctrine of what what that entails and what that can do for a young Gosh, person. That is tremendous advice. I yeah. mean, that is really great. I've often said, you know, the church is really stepping up with entertainment right now. Yep. But we're not going to out-entertain Hollywood. Correct. And the church has stepped up with its ways of communication. But we're not going to out-communicate, you know, whatever it is, Snapchat or or those things. We're not going to be able to compete on a world-to-world basis, creating a world of the church. But, you know, I get to do a fair amount of fireside speaking, you know, certainly not as much as you do, but I do uh, a good amount. And the one thing I always say is the, the, the world has no answer for the Spirit. That's right. It, 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 we win every time yep. i will put whatever whatever hollywood can produce whatever theme parks whatever any anything the spirit is not replicable yep. and there is nothing that competes with it and that is the key to conversion and that should have been the whole time it yep. should well not that it wasn't it always is it always, always has been. been yeah well that that's great awesome advice clint this has been so enjoyable. You are like a remarkable guy. So this is, I should tell our, our audience as well, if you've listened to, this is episode 12. If you've listened to all 12 episodes, one thing Clint has the honor of, uh, it was not on his bucket list, but <laughs> uh, Clint is the first guest I didn't know before today. I was That's a little true. bit nervous. I wasn't sure how it would go because everybody else, like everybody else who came in, I've, I've known their lives. I've followed their lives. You are just an inspiring, incredible guy. I have a uh, a closing question that we ask every one of our guests. There's no right or wrong, and it's a huge question. You can take it however you like. And that is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Well, that's a great question. The me- being a member of this church, uh, I think, means hope for me. Uh, because in my life, I've had a lot of times where I haven't had hope, or I haven't had direction or I felt lost or I felt alone. But the church for me has always been that place where I could go back to or I could revisit or I could surround myself with people in the church. And in doing so, I would feel hope. And in a world where a lot of people aren't necessarily believing in God or angels or things you can't see, uh, that seems to be the more popular side of the media and Hollywood or whatever you want to call it. Uh, hope still rings true. And in a world that is sometimes dark and devastating and full of a lot of different uh, distractions and things that can pull us in different ways, we need hope. We need hope in a future. We need hope in ourselves. 
And I have always found hope as being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when you have hope, it gives you the motivation to keep moving forward. It gives you the motivation to believe in yourself. It also gives you the, the ability to believe in other people. And so much of my life has changed because other people believed in me. And they saw something in me, Sean, that I didn't even see within myself. Mm. They gave me hope. And as members of this church, the more hope that we can have in others, as well as ourself, uh, that just makes the world a better place. That's and awesome. uh, so I'm grateful for hope. I'm, and that's what this church has done for me. Clint, it's a, a beautiful answer. Folks, if you want to follow Clint, uh, you can check out clintpulver.com. Uh, he's got a lot of information there. Also on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, you, you can follow Clint Pulver in all those places. And I highly recommend that you do. You will get a lot of lifts. Um, also, uh, if you want to hear almost everything we talked about, we do show notes. If you go to latterdaylives.com, uh, there will be links to YouTube videos, to all kinds of things about Clint. Clint, you are what I like to refer to as a credit to our church. I am. I don't like the word prouder. Because it's a <laughs> pride is not necessarily a good word, but I'm so proud to be a member of the church because of members like you. You are making such a difference in the world. You are a tremendous presenter, entertainer, husband, and all these incredible things you're doing. And you are one great Mormon. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. That's an us. honor, Sean. Thank, Thank you. you so much for the opportunity. What an amazing guy Clint is. I so appreciate him coming in and, and sharing his enthusiasm for life. Just wonderful. Uh, this week in my Latter-day life, uh, I was in three time zones in three days traveling for my job. It was just crazy. And uh, I flew into Minneapolis and caught uh, a ride in an Uber. I was going from the airport into downtown, and my Uber driver came and picked me up, and his name was Paul. And I had such a wonderful conversation with Paul that I decided to share it on Facebook. And I'll kind of tell you what that led to in just a minute. But Paul was this great guy. He Paul was from Rwanda. And if you're unfamiliar with Rwanda, uh, several years ago, there was just a horrific uh, ethnic cleansing or genocide, however you want to call it. Uh, it was just really tragic what happened. I read a book a few years ago about what happened uh, in Rwanda. And it was one of the hardest books that I've ever read. It, it was just, this genocide was so tragic. In about a 100-day span, somewhere between a half million and a million Rwandans were killed. And then another 2 million over the next little while became refugees because it was just so devastating with Rwandans killing other Rwandans. And as I got to talking to Paul, he told me that uh, he was from Rwanda. And in fact, there was a, a movie made about uh, the genocide there, and it was uh, called Hotel Rwanda. And he actually lived not far, just behind kind of where, uh, I'm sure I'm going to slaughter the name, but Hotel des Mil Collines. Uh, no idea if that's right, but uh, but that's the name of the hotel in Rwanda. He lived not far from it. And he was uh, a younger man. And I can only imagine him as a child when this was going on, just the horrors that he must have witnessed. And he uh, he came to uh, the U.S. just uh, uh, four years ago 
was all when he was 23 years old. He's 27 now. And he's driving Uber part-time and he's studying to be a network administrator. Now, heavy on my mind, this was on uh, Tuesday afternoon. And of course, Sunday night were the shootings in Las Vegas. And the world felt very heavy to me and, and the United States felt very heavy to me. And I think we all kind of felt that. And uh, so we were talking and we were talking a little bit about Rwanda. And then I asked him, I said, so you've been here four years now. What's your impression of coming to the U.S.? And he said, Sean, moving to America was like a baptism. It was a fresh start. He said, it's the greatest country in the world. And in this time of, you know, panic that we all had, uh, scared for some of the things going on in our country, I said, you know, Paul, there was some pretty major violence over the weekend. I mean, how much does that concern you and everything that's going on in the U.S.? He said, Sean, there will always be evil in the world, but there is so much more good. And he said, look around you. What a wonderful place to live. He said, we are so blessed and God is great. Uh, I was so moved and touched by Paul, and it really shifted my mind uh, when we look around the world and some of the things people go through, and we get so stuck in our own thing, not to say that what happened in Las Vegas wasn't major. Of course it was. It was horrific. And and the things that, that we haven't happened in our lives, I don't want to minimize that. But hearing his perspective changed my world. I mean, in a very literal way, suddenly the world around me was brighter. I was seeing the world through Paul's eyes. I was so moved and touched by Paul uh, and what he had to say that uh, when we got out of his car, I asked him if I could take a picture with him. And Paul's response just floored me. He said, of course we can. That's what friends do. My world was completely changed because of Paul. And uh, I was so moved by this. I shared the picture of me and Paul um, on my Facebook page. And I shared the quick story because it was just so great. And, you know, I don't post a whole lot on, on my personal Facebook page, but very quickly, suddenly, people were reading this, and it got shared, and ended up getting shared more than 40 times, 450-some-odd, something like that, people uh, clicked like or love or whatever it was, and then it ended up having 55 comments, and the comments were, oh, Sean, this is just what I needed, or Paul, aren't you great, Paul, you know, and love this, and and, and a lot of people saying this is what we needed, Um and I think it is what we need. What was sad to me was that I was not the source of it. I was the receiver, and it is what I needed. And sometimes we all need to receive this kind of uplifting message. But look at how much good we could do. Look how many people needed to hear Paul. And I'm so grateful that I posted it and that that it did touch all of us who needed to hear it that day. And so, Paul, you're my hero. If you're out there, I doubt you're listening, but... Uh, at the end, I, I ended the post with the same sentiment I'll share to you now or with you now, which was God bless you, Paul, and God bless America. It really is a great world. It is. And we, you know, wherever we live, there are things of beauty and it really depends on how we look at it. And if we can take the time to look at something through someone else's eyes, I once heard the quote that somewhere in the world, someone is praying for something that you are complaining about. So the next time we want to complain about that one member of our family or our job or whatever, whatever it is that we complain about, I know I do 
I do that all the time. Boy, if we could be a little bit more like Paul and just see how beautiful this world is. So so thank you, Paul. And uh, maybe I'll share that on the Latter-day Lives uh, Facebook page if you're interested in seeing it. Or it'll definitely be in the show notes. There'll be a link to it as there are show notes each week. Uh, if you want to check them out, they're on latterdaylives.com. And again, there are click-throughs for just about everything. If you want to reach out to me, even uh, if there's a question about the episode or about the guest, whatever it is, or if you've got feedback on the show, uh, please feel free to reach out. I can be uh, emailed at sean at latterdaylives.com, S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Uh, on social media, Twitter, we're Latterday underscore lives. Facebook is facebook.com slash Latterday Lives podcast. And Instagram, we are Latter underscore day underscore lives. We really appreciate all the reviews. We got some more very nice reviews on Facebook this week. And what means the most is whether it's uh, on Apple Podcasts or on uh, Google Play Music or Stitcher, wherever you listen to this podcast, um, if you could just go on and uh, leave us a review, that means more than anything, because we don't necessarily pop up right away when you just search for LDS or Mormon. But the more reviews that we have, the more we will pop up and uh, and show up when people are searching for good LDS content. And again, we're we just really appreciate it. So that's it for our show this week. Uh, again, next week, we've got another exciting show, a non-entertainer. Next week, it's going to be a little bit of a departure, but I'm so excited for that guest. And again, I just want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. The rate at which this podcast is growing is unbelievable. So until next week, keep in mind that there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it just not of it. Thanks for listening.